Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Boot League Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. And uh, we are in the thick of the NFL offseason, which means it's time to talk about second-year breakout players, one of our favorite topics. These are uh, a, lot of, a lot of guys going into their second year, mostly, uh, <laughs> that uh, you know maybe we didn't get to talk a whole lot about during the rookie year. We want to give them some props and... Uh, you know, put a little shine on them before they go into a big sophomore campaign, which starts very, very soon, EJ. Camps, I think, start in like six weeks or so, so not that far off. But before we get into it, how you doing, and what are you drinking tonight? I am feeling shiny. Uh, people will notice <laughs> a little bit of difference here. Um, we bit, always, yeah. yeah, a little bit, right? We always talk about uh, how much your support means to the pod and means to us personally. You're going to notice a few differences in the old man cave here. We got the upgraded mic that uh, we picked up during the draft. Finally got that shipped up to my house. Might notice a little bit of difference in lighting. Um, some other sound quality stuff that you might not notice but is there. So I'm I'm feeling like a brand new boy. So I'm excited. This is uh, also the last quote-unquote regular pod before we kick into the big divisional offseason previews, which will look a little bit different. So I'm feeling... I'm feeling pumped up and a little bit new. I am drinking uh, out of my nice little bootleg glass, um, grapefruit seltzer, because it's what I had on hand and it was cold. Um, <laughs> what do you have? Uh, I have a wonderful Bushmills Prohibition recipe, which is, uh, I was actually working with them for this week's film room episode. Uh, get them on camera there. And um, this is a, a, a limited release they put out in celebration of the final season of Peaky Blinders, and it is a damn good Irish whiskey, mainly because it's a lot proofier than normal Irish whiskeys. I'm a degenerate who really likes anything <laughs> above 90. Um, and this is a phenomenal proofier Irish whiskey, which is not something you get very often. So uh, I'm sipping on that tonight. Uh, and we have a lot of news to get to, by the way, before we get to the second year breakout player. So I don't want to waste any time. First things first, one of my favorite bears of all time, Possibly one of your favorite pairs of all time, even though you've been watching them a lot longer than me. Uh, Akeem Hicks making his way down to Tampa Bay, filling out a defensive line rotation that was already pretty damn good. Now on third down, you're getting Shaq Barrett, Akeem Hicks, uh, potentially still Ndamukong Sue. No, he's, still, out, still he's out of picture, I think. Uh, I think the Hicks signing 
sort of finalize that. But you're getting, you know, look, Vita Vea's got more pass rush than people give him credit for. He's not a two-down player. So if you want to put Hicks and Vea in the middle, you can do whatever you want outside of that. And they have plenty of whatever you want outside of that. So it's a scary-looking lineup. Not to mention uh, a player that we're going to talk about a little bit later, Joe Tryon Schwenka. Uh, now taking a starting role with JPP out of the rotation. So that, that D-line has been good for several years at this point, and it's still really damn good. This was a phenomenal signing by Tampa Bay. They just keep getting away with it. They, they <laughs> did you keep getting away with it. Did you catch his comments today? Akeem? No. Oh, they, they did sting a little bit. It's true, but they did sting a little bit. He's he's not telling any lies, so let's let's put that out there first. He said, so my first two quarterbacks when I came into the league were Drew Brees and Tom Brady. And then I went to Chicago, and it wasn't Drew Brees or Tom Brady. <laughs> so You're not wrong. Akeem. He's not wrong, right? He's not lying. Uh, but, yeah, it did sting a little bit. Truth hurts. And he's like, so it's really nice to come back to having a guy behind center that, you know, uh, basically you can count on. Um but yeah, again, truth hurts. He didn't. He didn't overstep. He didn't take any shots. He just said this is a fact, and he's he's not wrong. Well, if there was ever a spot for him to get a ring, which a, a much deserved ring, he's had a great career. Uh, Tampa's probably his best shot at this yeah. point. Uh, second little piece of news: we have a slew of retirements to go over to last week. Honestly, this has been the off season of retirements. Feels like an entire generation of players have kind of gotten cycled out. Uh, but we had Ryan Fitzpatrick hanging him up after 17 illustrious seasons. Frank Gore, after 16 years, I think he's the third all-time rusher right now at 16,000 yards. Uh, he's hanging him out, uh, hanging him up, excuse me, uh, almost definitely a Hall of Famer. I'd be stunned if he's not a Hall of Famer, like early. Uh, Alex Mack, after 13 years, another guy who I think should be considered for a Hall of Fame, one of the best centers of his generation, I don't know if he'll get in because he's a center who played at the same time as Jason Kelsey and you know Travis Frederick. He was always like forgotten about amongst the league's elite centers, but when you look at him, when you look at his resume, all the Pro Bowls, the All Pros, the All Decade, um, you know one of the most consistent centers for well over a decade in the league. I think he at least deserves consideration for the Hall of Fame. And then uh, Stephon Tuitt, who still was an amazing player like even last year was one of the best interior defensive linemen in the entire league uh after eight years uh he decided that he was going to leave the game with his health intact he got plenty of money wanted to go do bigger and better things we wish him all the best but he he had a phenomenal career uh you know short but sweet but he was a great player and um I think there's there's a lot of five techniques that come out in the draft that I'm going to be comparing to Stefan to it for a long time because he is like one of the the measuring bars for me at that position. Yeah, all four of those guys. It just feels like uh, in terms of they didn't all play the same position, they didn't all play for the same teams or even in the same divisions. It just feels like a real, like you said, kind of cross section of almost modern football history. Just sort of we're going to put that book on the shelf now. Fitz Magic is possibly he's not he's not unique but he is one of the most interesting career arcs in NFL history and that's oh yeah that's not up for debate like it just all the stops starting not starting battling starting again 
uh, usurping spots, being a backup, having personality, and just being a really kick-ass human all the way along. Um, all the stories that have come out uh, in you know uh, honor of his retirement and former teammates speaking up the way he announced his retirement with a you know a placard of all the players he's played with just seems like a really class guy uh you know might be taking shots at us pretty soon sounds like he might be entering the broadcasting world (laughs) um uh Dennis jeremiah said here's my you know not so hot take he's going to be amazing and quickly because he's you know super intelligent great knowledge of the game again very uh, has a great way of relating to people frank gore an absolute cyborg right vicious knee injuries in college everybody kind of wrote him off um reminds me a little bit of uh nick chubb in that way nick chubb with grievous injuries in college and then came in and just has really blown the league away gore was just that consistent guy that always was gonna turn up 800 to a thousand yards every time no matter where he was again many stops alex mack great player um again multiple stops lots on his resume i feel like your case is your point about his case is very valid he played at the time of you know position that doesn't get in a ton and with some other really great centers playing at the same time but also i feel like he tailed off like mac was one that i think when he retired a bunch of people said alex mac still playing yeah like the last three or four years for him were pretty quiet so that's uh you know going out with a little bit more of a whimper not again that centers ever have a real shout they're not typically really loud people i think kelsey might be one of the loudest centers ever um and then to it was the surprise amongst that group all those guys are you know well over 10 years to it at eight um real quality again one of those um sort of litmus test cases for for voters as they're looking at any kind of award hey he had really good high quality play for a shorter than typical time how do we how do we balance that how do we weigh that but you can't argue with his results his impact on the defense while he was in pittsburgh um you know four great players and again just a solid cross-section i think about how much football is in that group right how much football knowledge how much football experience um how much football skill uh, and all four of them, you know, dropping out within basically a week is, uh, yeah, you feel it a little bit. There's some, there's some nostalgia that kicks in, but great group of players. Uh, and then our, our last piece of news is a much different, way more unfortunate. Uh, unfortunately, Mar- Marion Barber passed away this past week. He was only 38. As of the time of us recording this, we don't know the cause, so we won't speculate, but, um, I do just want to note that Marion Barber was, by all accounts, a really, really good person. But he also, to me, was one of the players that I identify with that era of the Cowboys mm. because of just how hard he ran every single play. Like, he gave his all every single snap. You know, was a wonderful teammate, um, extremely hard worker. Like, he just he played with, with such ferocity and passion in the game he had he had the best two yard run in the history of the sport yeah and, and i you know that sounds anticlimactic but when you watch that run against the patriots like that was marion barber yeah. he's going to give you everything he had on every single play um and again just talking to people who knew him he, he seemed like such a genuinely good dude so it's it's unfortunate that in that we lost him so young uh and it's 
it just sucks. So prayers out to his family. Um, and, and we hope that, that his family, uh, you know, gets the support they need right now. Yeah, it's not great. It sounds like players that played with him knew that he was not in a great place um, for a while. Some of them had posted about it as early as last year saying, mm, I'm worried about this. I don't I don't think things are as, as good as they could be on his end. Unfortunately, that turned out to be the worst case scenario. I think the best case for remembering him is the two things that you laid out, him as the person first and the tributes from teammates and former coaches have definitely aligned that way. And then him on the field, uh, him on the field, he was just rugged. He was a rugged runner. Um, it was Mike Sando posted a clip of him blocking from mm-hmm. camp where he just literally on a pickup drill annihilates a linebacker, knocks him completely off his feet to the ground guy rolls over gets to his knees and then kind of thinks better of standing up because he's like <laughs> i'm not right and marion was like mm, that, that and more every time like that was not a a strange thing if you watched him run if you watched him if you do anything on the football field it was full speed full throttle full effort um and you know i think that you know that's something to look back on if if you want a happier memory of marion barber and say man he left he literally left it all on the field um every time so um i can have a lot of respect for that and it's 38 is just way 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 too young way too young but cheers to you marion hope you're in a better place at this point um and then uh final piece of news on a much happier note we do want to welcome a couple new patrons patrons Woo! patron pa- patreon members pa- how pa- do we, pa- how do we, patreons I, I i go between patrons patreons it does it's not great uh, Alex and Cole, welcome to the club. Thank you very much for your support and uh, and helping to pay for uh, all of EJ's new upgrades that we got going here. Yeah, really, really appreciate that. Uh, remember, you get discounts on merch. You're going to get access to uh, the patron only uh, live stream that we have going later this June. I think in a couple weekends from now, if I remember correctly. Yeah, haven't set the exactly date, but it's coming it. up. A couple of weeks. So that'll become be coming very soon. Uh, so yeah, appreciate all your support guys. Remember if you want to become a patron yourself, you can go to the link down in the description below and, uh, and help us pay for more upgrades for EJ's basement. We would very much appreciate that. <laughs> the spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. And now, what everybody's here for. Second year breakout players. EJ, before we get started on this, why don't you give a little uh, little primer for what we're talking about here? Yeah, we're going to keep this one short and sweet. Um, uh, We've had a couple delays in recording this pod, and in the delay, like at least five other outlets have done second year breakout players. So I've sent every one of those to Brett, like, see, see, I told you, uh, mostly players, mostly players coming into their second season in the league, looking to take that significant sophomore jump. We see this very often. There's a big adjustment. I don't care where you played college ball, going to the pros. Very few rookies come in and just have a seamless transition and are instantly highly productive. A few are, and it's literally a handful most players really look for that. Okay, I got the grind down. I got the length down. I got the speed down. I got the playbook down. Now I'm really going to 
now I'm either going to take to this or I'm not. And we look for that second year jump and we see kind of the biggest increase between year one and year two, typically. Um, so we're going to do it the way we did um, last week's pod. We're going to talk about five players on offense, five players on defense. Brett's going to pick two. I'm going to pick two. We're going to do one collab player, one collaboration player on both offense and defense. We're going to do it snake draft style. So Brett's going to start off with his two. Uh, we'll roll through the rest. But uh, all players that we're looking forward to seeing, and, and they're on this list for a variety of reasons, which I think you'll see as we move through this. So my first player on offense is going to be Rashad Bateman from Baltimore, who, if we're being honest, Rashad Bateman probably should have had more production overall as a rookie than he did, but there were several things conspiring against him. Number one, injuries. Uh, A lot of unfortunately timed injuries. Even going back to summer, I think he wasn't even healthy going back before training camp. So he was kind of snake bitten early on. Um, also the, the system, let's be honest, is kind of a one receiver offense in that I think there's only room for one pure wide receiver (laughs) to get a lot of targets in that offense. They're going to be running a lot of 12 personnel, a lot of 13 personnel. Just look at the draft. They took a million tight ends. They have, they're like five deep at running back. Like they, they want to be a team that lives out of 12, 13, 21 and 22 personnel, which means you could pretty much only have one productive wide receiver on the team. The one guy that's going to be on the field all the time. Now, last year, a lot of targets went to Hollywood Brown, um, in particular deep targets. And say what you want about Hollywood, he scored a lot. I think he scored touchdowns in like 16 straight games or something like that. Like he he had a crazy scoring streak. Like all he did was score. Um, and I think Rashad Bateman is going to fill that role because he's got some deep gas as well, in addition to being a better intermediate threat, in my opinion, than Hollywood Brown. So he's more well-rounded. I think he's going to be the true number one in Baltimore since there's nobody left to challenge him for that. Um, I think he's going to get force-fed a lot of targets. I think he's going to be the one receiver that's on the field in any personnel grouping. He can play inside, he can play outside, so they can do a whole bunch of different creative stuff with him. They can even give him some carries in that run game if they really want to. Now, Rashad Bateman, I think if we're trying to compare his production to some of the other second-year players that we know are already that dude, like, say, Jalen Waddle, Jalen Waddle, Jamal Chase, any of those guys, do I expect him to put up similar numbers to them? Probably not, just because of where he's playing. Yeah. But I don't think that's a discredit to him as a player. I think he just happened to end up in an offense that doesn't really prioritize wide receivers. But in a vacuum, he's an exceptionally talented player. He will be their number one. And he's going to get a lot more than he did last year, which was 46 grabs for about 500 yards. I think that he could very easily double that in year two, which to me, I consider that an easy candidate for breakout player. Yeah, and you're not alone. This is a very popular pick for a breakout player seeing Rashad Bateman's ascension is uh, in in no way a unique take lots of folks uh, wanted to see this in year one we're hoping to see this in year one got off to a bit of a slow start he's gonna see a lot of targets he's gonna make a lot of catches that's his mo he can make them contested he can make them down the field he can go up and get them um, the one thing in terms of is he going to challenge at the level of of waddle and chase probably not because both the offense and the type of receiver is they're not really built for yak they'll take it 
but that's not the way the system is configured. It's more point and shoot or point and catch. Um, if he gets anything, and he will get some because he is a big physical runner and he'll break a few tackles and get some extra long runs, but it's not like Waddle running free on a cross. Um, certainly not like Jamar Chase just bullying people all over the field or just outrunning them. Uh, he's going to get less of that. So if he is going to challenge for that level, it's going to be really all about volume. It's going to be about number of targets. And he should have those, uh, but he's not just going to get as many free yards as a lot of those guys. So it'll be, I think, more difficult for him to compete with those you know, elevated yardage totals and you know, uh, flashy scoring plays, right? If you put up a 75-yard touchdown, you're getting the highlight. If you put up, you know, seven catches on a drive uh, and then, you know, J.K. Dobbins plunges in from the one, uh, maybe two or three of those are going to be highlight catches and the rest are going to go a little bit less unnoticed. So, Now, my second player on offense, this one's actually somebody who had even less production than Rashad Bateman uh, because he was even more injured than Rashad Bateman. That's Travis Etienne who missed his entire rookie year, unfortunately with an injury. Uh, and he was, he was seen as kind of, um, I don't want to, I don't want to use the B word. I don't want to say he was a bust, but a lot of people were labeling him as, as a bust after a rookie year where we didn't even get to see him play, which I think is extraordinarily unfair. Now, do I agree with the notion of taking a running back in the first round? No. Typically because that is a position that gets beat up a lot, and then, of course, he got injured. But, and this is a, a very large but, capital B, Travis Etienne is not just going to be a running back in this offense, which is why I think that this pick could actually end up being very valuable for Jacksonville because they don't want to use him like... Debo Samuel, the running back. They want to use him like Debo Samuel, the receiver, who also happens to get some carries at running back, if that makes sense. I think that his touch split is actually going to be more on the 50-50 side, where you're not entirely sure what position he plays, rather than being a guy who gets you know 70% of his touches on the ground, and then he, he gets catches out of the backfield. Like, his catches are going to be he's lined up split outside. He's lined up in the slot. Like he's it's not just going to be dump offs. It's going to be actual routes. They're going to be using him as a wide receiver that also gets carries in the backfield. He still might be labeled as a running back, but I I do think that his role is going to look very similar to quote unquote the Debo role, just with a different label on it. And that seems to be what he's excited to be doing as well. He's made some comments about that about how he wants to be their version of Debo. And remember, in the last half of the year, Debo weirdly started getting more touches as a running back than as a receiver. I think it might be a little bit more flipped for Etienne. Um, so I, I think that he is one of the more fascinating second-year players because I think people that aren't paying attention to how Jacksonville is gearing up to using him, they're seeing him as you know the other guy behind James Robinson, and it's it's so much more than that. He's he's going to be on the field with James Robinson doing things other than running the football. He's going to be the guy that I think they wanted LaVisca Chanel to be. Hmm. And not that I'm totally out on LaVisca, but I, I think that they are going to end up occupying a much more similar role than people think, even though they have different letters next to their name. I don't think you're wrong. And... This comes from even last year under the last regime, which kind of obviously had no idea what they were doing. But in camp, before he got hurt, 
there was a lot of this. Mm, he's not just going to be a running back. Because everybody's like, oh, he drafted a running back in the first round. They're like, meh, not really. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> and it's, oh, no, we're going to use him on routes as a wide receiver. We're going to line him up. We're going to put him everywhere. He's going to be the everything back. Um, and I think Peterson's coaching staff has a better idea of how to do that. And if you look at Peterson's time with the Eagles, uh, they kind of always had a back that was closer to a 50-50 balance, didn't really achieve that necessarily, but was used more fully in that role. And I think of that as the ultimate extension of, you know, where Peterson started in the coaching tree and is sort of like West Coast on steroids, right? Which is, mm-hmm. you know, we're not, we're not going to throw swings to Roger Craig. We're going to line up Roger Craig, Roger Craig in the slot a lot and throw him, you know, 50, 60. The, the term I like for that, by the way, is spread coast. Because it perfectly encapsulates it. I, I would agree. And if we're talking about a true spread coast approach, which I think we're going to be pretty close to in Jacksonville, Etienne is one of the most fascinating players to watch because he's got a skill set that matches. If we're just talking about raw physical traits, uh, you don't need to try and pigeonhole him. He, he With the ball in his hands, you can't tell the difference. He's that kind of fast, sudden um explosive in terms of quickness so it'll be really interesting to see how much of that morphs but i agree with you that he's absolutely going to be on the field with james robinson and doing different things all right ej i'm gonna let you get on your soapbox tell us all about your man justin fields it's gonna be a very short soapbox which is matt nagy's gone matt nagy had no idea (laughs) what he was doing um and I'm bummed about that. I was excited when Matt Nagy was hired as the Bears coach, as were a lot of us. Uh, We thought it was going to be a a real aerial offense in Chicago. Turns out Matt Nagy might be good at designing that. He might be good at coaching it from the quarterback position. He is not good at orchestrating it. Um, Neither was the rest of his staff. And all you have to do is look at Justin Fields' tape from last year to truly deeply understand that Nagy and his staff were wildly overmatched and didn't make the adjustments they needed to. If you look at the first start that Justin Fields was given, it almost looks like like it's pretty easy to make a case that they were trying to prove the point that Justin shouldn't be playing. Like, we're just going to yeah, stick him in there. Malicious. We're going to make him do a lot of things he's uncomfortable with. Oh, by the way, we're not going to give him any protection, and he is going to get lambasted. He is going to get smeared all over the field. It was super painful. Uh, it was a national stage. A lot of people were waiting for it. High draft pick in a, in a city that has been quarterback starved. And it was a horror show. It was ridiculous. And a lot of people with early impressions went, well, that's it. Justin Fields is a bust. That's terrible. When the staff did nothing to help him and honestly kind of looked like they were going out of their way to hurt him um, or at least to stay away from the things he was good at. That's all gone erase that you now have a coaching staff a general manager they're coming in and some people have said because of their personnel strategy they don't believe in justin fields they're just biding their time and they're going to pick another quarterback next year those two things are somewhat independent they do believe in justin fields and they are going to give him as much support as they can this year and see what they have and if he goes out 
And with those roadblocks removed and a staff that supports him and a system from Luke Getze that came from Green Bay that really rolls in his strengths, talks about his preferences. They've already done that in terms of player acquisition. They sat him down before the draft. Matt Eberflus sat with him and said, hey, do you like this guy? Do you like this guy at receiver? And Justin Fields was able to say, yeah, that that looks like something I could work with. Uh, Interestingly enough, Bayless Jones is one of those guys, so everybody can shut up about that. (laughs) Justin said, yeah, give me that guy. They gave him that guy. So they're going to give him some tools, and they're going to watch, and they're going to see what happens. And if he has what I would call a natural rookie progression or more, I think they're going to say, hey, we've got our guy. Now we need to fill around. If he absolutely bombs, yeah, they're absolutely going to use a high pick that they get on a quarterback. Um, But I think they're going to take a good hard look this year and say what's reasonable and with a capable, I'm not going to say top five or top 10, but not a bottom five, which is absolutely what Matt Nagy's offense was for the majority of his time there with a normalized NFL offense and certainly more protection. They've, they've filled the offensive line room. They should be able to put blockers in front of him with that. Does Justin Fields ascend? Does he look like he is an improving player that's leading the team? That's making more of those highlight plays that you saw last year in spite of all that stuff. I think the answer is going to be resoundingly yes. People are going to come out and go, whoa, Justin Fields is way better when the truth is no, they actually have a functional offensive line in front of them and an offensive plan that the receivers aren't bitching about, (laughs) that Akeem Hicks isn't going to take backhanded shots at from Tampa Bay, Uh, you know, just a normal NFL offense. And people are really going to see that as Justin Fields like ascending in his second year when it's really nobody has their thumb on his head and they're letting him do what he's really good at. And he has a lot of skills. He's just, he's so physically talented. And I think even last year, just the flashes were so brilliant that I don't want to say that it's, it's, it's malpractice what they did, but it's pretty damn close. (laughs) It's on pretty damn close. It's on the line. Yeah. But he still had those flashes even despite all of the issues coming from the coaching staff, which at times it felt like malpractice, or at least as close as we can get. Like it, it I understand like these guys are professional coaches, they've done it for a long time, but holy shit. Like there were there were times where they were making calls in the red zone that I legitimately had no idea what they were even thinking. And even when I reach out to other coaches. I, w- I would send them the play and be like, is this even in your low red zone book at all? And they said, no, we're fucking near it. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my, my litmus test for, you know, am I being too hard on a particular player or set of coaches or whatever is like, I do. I reach out and I look for anybody. And in Matt Nagy's case, I look for anybody that has a defense for that. Like, generally for his body of work but if you want to talk about specific instances on last year but does anybody who i consider knowledgeable reputable uh worth listening to have any defense for what happened does anybody say oh i think they were going for this but they missed here here and here and here's how it could work i've never seen anyone anyone like literally no one offer that kind of defense for matt Nagy. everybody just kind of goes it ranges from mm, I'd rather not talk about it to anger inducing. 
oh my God, have you seen this? And I'm like, yes, actually, I'm both a Bears fan and an analyst. I've seen way, way, way too much of it. I know exactly what you're talking about. And yes, it looks that way to me as well. They called four verts from their own 12-yard line on like third and 11 against a double mug look. Yeah, with no protection. And they just let him get run over. And it's what are we doing here? <laughs> why? Yeah, there were a lot of why moments last year in Bears. And football. it's like you could say, like, oh, it's on the quarterback to get out of that look. And it's at the same time. Your rookie it's... quarterback in like his second or third start with no protection. Yeah, it it's... is, but. So why are you making that call in the first place? I think a lot of roadblocks removed. We're going to get a cleaner look at what he can do. And your point is super well taken that despite all that malpractice and garbage and a crappy system and, and little protection, he still had transcendent flashes. You could see it. And I think yeah. we'll see it from here. So I'm, a, I'm really excited about year two. Who's your number two on offense? My number two is not that actually much different than your number two. Uh, it's Kenneth Gainwell, the running back for the Eagles. And, you might say, well, I don't think Gainwell's even going to be the lead back for the Eagles, and you're probably going to be right. Like, I think Miles Sanders is incredibly talented and will be the primary runner, much like James Robinson will be the primary runner in Jacksonville. But that's not really what they want Kenneth Gainwell to do in the Eagles' offense. So, as a rookie, last year, he played in 16 games. Uh, he put up uh, 68 rushes. 291 yards and five touchdowns. You might say, well, that's not great. Well, you know, it's not great, but it's not terrible. It's 4.3 yard average for a rookie. But he also put up 33 receptions for 253 yards and one touchdown. So that's 7.7 yard average receiving for, again, a running back who's out doing things in the receiving game. So if you look at the total, which is really what you're talking about with modern running backs in the NFL, you're talking about touches, you're looking at 544 total yards and five TDs as a rookie with a pretty even split between rushing and receiving. Huh, that sounds familiar. It sounds a lot like the argument you're making for what might happen mm -hmm. with Travis this year in Jacksonville. So here's the interesting part. Saw 10.7% of the Eagles' targets as a rookie and a running back. Yeah. And they had some... A rotational back at that's that. That's right, yeah. the number two back. So that says to me, huh, as a rookie... They gave him a tenth of the overall targets, and they had some receiving targets last year. People might say, oh, they didn't. oh no, Devonta Smith was there. They, they had plenty of targets. Um, only Najee had a higher team target rate among rookie running backs last year. He's the only rookie running back that, and it was only slightly higher. It was like a point and a half or two points higher. Um, and he, Which is interesting because Najee had a couple games where he had like 19 catches right. or whatever it was. And he was the primary <laughs> runner. Yeah. So it, it, different system in Pittsburgh, but like it, it makes sense to me that Najee would, I, I would hope actually, uh, because Najee is a great receiver in his own right. Um, so I really think the Eagles want Gainwell to fill that role like a player we mentioned last week, and that's Austin Eckler. Mm. I think mm. they want Gainwell to be more like, I don't think they're expecting him to be Austin Eckler because if you listen to last week's episode, you know uh, what we think of Eckler. Um, we think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. I think Philadelphia is like, if he goes from this very decent rookie year, which I think it is, if you're, if you're being realistic, it's a very decent rookie year to 
a curve where he's starting to look a little bit more like or can see Austin Eckler far over the horizon, like that's going to be a, a great success. And it's going to be a huge improvement. You know, I could see a couple of hundred more yards in both categories. And at that point, you're talking about 750, 800 yards, maybe a slight increase in touchdowns up to like 10 with a pretty even split between rushing and receiving. If you're talking about 800 yards and 10 TDs out of your second running back, I don't think those are unreachable targets for Gainwell. And if that happens, he's absolutely a breakout player. All right. You know, I was a little bit sketchy when I first saw that name on the rundown, but I think you, I think you convinced me because at first I was like, ah, I can't Gainwell. Like, yeah, Miles Sanders there. And, but it, it makes sense in the context of like how many other number two running backs even get, even plausibly would put up those kind of numbers, even in, even with like, heavy committee teams that's hard that's a hard line to get to but i could actually see Gainwell getting to it because of his skill set when i say that as a complementary piece to miles sanders he does stuff that sanders doesn't do as well particularly in the receiving game sanders is a great runner but i don't necessarily think he's got um let's just be diplomatic I don't think he has the ball skills. I don't think he has the zone awareness. I don't mm. think he has any of those kind of just like innate natural receiving skills that Gainwell does. And so if he's getting every single third down, if he's getting every single second and nine, yeah, he could get to 800 yards and maybe double digit touchdowns, depending on how he's used in the, in the red zone. I imagine Sanders is going to get goal line work, but if they're taking, you know, if they're taking shots to the running back in the high red zone, that's going to be Gainwell. It's not going to be Sanders. So yeah, he could get there. And at that point, he'd be one of the most productive number two running backs in the entire league. That's like Tony Pollard type production, if not slightly better. So yeah, you sold me. You absolutely sold me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, now, our collaborative pick for offense. Um, we, we did kind of allude to it a little bit earlier, but uh, I, I, I want to go back to the Jacksonville well. This is going to be Trevor Lawrence, and I think you and I both agreed that if Trevor Lawrence was in a situation that was not run by Urban Meyer last year, I think we would have seen a Trevor Lawrence closer to what was maybe advertised at Clemson. If you're just going off box score, he did not have a good rookie year. In fact, he had a pretty terrible rookie year if we're just going off stats. But if you watched the Jaguars, if you watched him scratch, claw, and fight and do everything he could to drag that situation through games every single week, you saw an ultra-talented player that made some truly incredible throws. And as the season went on, you started to see more and more, especially after Urban was gone, when things were stabilized mm -hmm. a little bit, you saw more and more 
the flashes of, okay, there's something there. And then the indie game happened. And that was the game where I was like, all right, we're good. We're good. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen that he can do it. I've seen it once. You get him a coach that can get him to do that every week. We're good. And I think they did that with Doug Peterson. And I, obviously they're investing a lot in weapons and offensive line, everything like that. I have more confidence now in Trevor Lawrence, weirdly, than when he was drafted because of everything he went through as a rookie. And he still had that last game against the Colts to knock them out of the playoffs and played phenomenally well. I'm I'm more positive on him than ever, which is saying a lot because it's Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> All the same arguments I made for Justin can be made for Trevor in the exact same situation. The staff mm-hmm. did not do a lot to help him. He still showed flashes despite those things falling down around him. He is uber talented. If you just remove the roadblocks, I don't even care about giving him a bunch of band-aids. Like if you just level the playing field and say, we're going to give you a system that is mid pack in the NFL. We're going to continue to build your offensive weapons. Uh, We're going to get you a little bit more protection. You know, all the things, all the exact same things I said about Justin can be applied to Trevor Uh, It's a different situation, but it was very similar in a lot of ways. And to me, it broke down into three sections for Trevor Lawrence's rookie season. There was games like one through six. And although the results weren't great, if you're box score scouting, you're going to be like, those aren't good games, EJ. They weren't. But there was at least one flash in every game in the first six games. He looked like a Mm -hmm. rookie quarterback figuring it out. And he did at least one thing in those first six weeks every game that made you go, oh, yeah, (laughs) there it is. Not everybody can do that. You know, there's there's something there. They got to they gotta shave off all the rough edges, but it's there. And then things got toxic, and Urban was still there, and that's the middle section. So the first section was the first six games. The next section was from then on until Urban left, and it was bad. That section was just bad. Uh, Trevor started to press a lot he realized how awful it was and he was like i'm sure he felt a massive amount of pressure i've got to make this happen uh when rookie quarterbacks start to do that typically the results are pretty typical to what we saw the wheels fall off they fall off badly there are a couple games in there where you didn't see those flash plays at all because he was just he was making terrible decisions he regressed in that next stretch of games finally things got bad enough they jettison Urban Meyer. It takes about a week for them to kind of go, okay, <laughs> different plan. And then you start to see him kind of get back on that path he was on in the first six weeks, make some plays. And it culminates in the indie game. And you go, yeah, yeah, okay. There's, That's what it looks like. Make that a little bit better. Polish that up. Add some weapons. Add some protection. And, and we're good. We're rolling. I think Peterson's staff is going to be able to do all of that. So I'm looking for a very similar jump out of Trevor in Jacksonville that you're going to see out of Justin in Chicago. Now, moving over to the defensive side, you're a dirty, no-good, rotten cheater. Yes. But I'm going to give you a pass for this one because technically it fits. Yeah, if if we're counting it up, it fits. Uh, this is Jeff Akuda. the cornerback for Detroit. You might say he's not a second-year player. Well, if you're counting up accrued service, yeah, he's still probably not. He's he is a second year player. It's officially his third year in the league. His first year was a lost year. He has said openly that Matt Patricia's staff did not coach him. 
They were just like, go out there and play, which is a terrible way to handle a rookie, even one of the most talented rookies uh, of his class coming out. He was pretty much consensus CB1. There weren't very many people that didn't have him atop the cornerback board. So I'm going to cheat because I think he can be really good, and he can be really good because of his spot now, because of the changes. He started to look pretty good last year, played just a very few number of snaps. I think it was like 48 snaps total last year, and he tears his yeah. Achilles. First first game of the season, I think, if I remember correctly. So, yeah. Or like first quarter of the second game. Like very few total snaps. But he was looking pretty good. He had some PBUs. And people were saying, no, he looks... He looks like he belongs. He looks like he knows what he's doing. He looks like he's comfortable. And he's said all those things since Aaron Glenn came to town as a DC. Aaron Glenn, uh, a former defensive back in the league himself, understands uh, what to do with very talented athletes. And Akuda was vibing, like for lack of a better term. He was he was in it. He was digging <laughs> it. And he pops his Achilles. Terrible timing, loses the entire season. But it was very early in the season. That's something else that factors into this. He's had basically a maximum amount of healing time. If it had been a mid-season injury or a late-season injury, he'd be coming into the beginning of this season, missing off-season, probably missing camp, probably not playing until several games into the season at best. At this case, he might get some camp. He might get some preseason games. Uh, recovery is going pretty well. He started multiple motion uh, training. So I... I'm still holding out hope for Jeff Akuda. He's an incredibly talented player in a very good situation, one that we would be excited about by all accounts. Um, it is his third year, and it is make or break for him. If he doesn't do anything this year, he's gone, regardless of how good the story is or how much potential is there. He's got to perform this year, and he's got to stay healthy. That's just the reality. You don't get to be a high pick and say, well, there's no pressure on me. Like It's coming regardless. I hope he plays the lights out because he can. We saw it in college. We started to see it last year through camp and in the first couple of games. And I, I think it's still there. I hope we get to see it. Just as football fans and everything else, not because I care how Detroit does or anything else. I want Jeff Akuda to succeed and reach the level he can reach as a player because we saw that in college. And I want to see it again. I'm greedy. And apparently I'm a cheater and a liar. So I'm just, I got all the things going for me. <laughs> No, but I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll absolutely give it to you because again, that Matt Patricia year doesn't count if we're being honest. It's, it's just like Trevor Lawrence with, with Urban. Like you can't really hold it against him if we're being completely honest. And then he gets a real coaching staff in there that is building a great culture, and they have a great teacher in Aaron Glenn. And then he gets like again fifty snaps into the year. You know, it, it is what it is. So I totally get it. I accept your answer, and I completely agree. I think, again, natural talent off the charts. He was one of the best DBs that Ohio State put into the NFL in the last 10 years, and that's saying a lot because Ohio State has put a lot of DBs into the NFL in the last 10 years. He was lights out in college, um, virtually impossible to throw against. I think if you're as good as Pat Sertan was with Denver last year, Pat Sertan and Jeff Akuda were very similar prospects to me, very similar grades. Mm -hmm. Like, they were both incredible. So, I think if Jeff Akuda is healthy and is in a good situation with a good defensive coaching staff, which he is, just like Sertan was in Denver, I think you're getting very similar corners there. So, totally agree there. Uh, who is your number two for defense? Well, we're sticking with the injured team, and that's it's unfortunate they were injured. But I'm going to go with Dio Digbo, defensive end, 
for Indianapolis. Um, it's a really powerful rush end came out of Vanderbilt. Uh, strangely enough, one of the first uh, players I watched with somebody else in last year's draft cycle, and it was our good buddy Craig Stout, who uh, does defensive analysis for KCSN. And we were both up real late one night. Uh, he was up real, real late because he lives farther east than I do. And it was about 1 a.m. for me. And he sent me something. I was like, you still up? He's like, ah, I'm watching film. I'm like, who are you watching? He was like, I'm watching DNs getting ready for the Senior Bowl. And so we hopped on a Google Meet. And uh, Dio was the guy we watched. And I was like, uh, I'd, I'd seen a little bit of him. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty excited about this guy. He's like, I love this guy. I'm, I can't wait to see him at the Senior Bowl. And literally... Four days later, he, I, you know, he gets injured, can't go to the Senior Bowl, uh, goes into the draft as injured, is not going to play uh, for the most part of his rookie year. He did come back at the end of his rookie year, again, because the injury happened uh, so early before the year started. He had some healing time. But this is going to be the first real look we get at Dial. Like, this is going to be the first full-strength look we get and it's also an excellent landing spot we talk about this in the draft all the time like what's their path to playing time and what's their fit with where they're ending up and what he does fits really well with what the colts want their defensive ends to do who knew chris ballard's a decent gm he's picking players that fit the (laughs) system which is awesome but he's had his full year to heal he's a great fit with roles and responsibilities where he landed and when he flashes, I went back and watched a little bit of his tape just as I was putting him on here. I was like, am I sure about this? And I watched a little bit of his tape and I was like, oh yeah, still sure about this. When when he gets people lined up, he can absolutely blow them over. And the coolest piece of this entire story is he doesn't have to be the guy, right? Mm-hmm. He was able to be a second round pick. It's not like Indy's defensive line is bereft of talent. He can be a solid, almost rotational piece. I know they hope with spending a high pick on him that he grows into a starter. And we both kind of looked at each other mm, a little bit sideways across the table last year when their draft started off with Quiddy and then Dial. And we're like, well, wait a minute. You just, you just pick two guys to do roughly the same thing, different players. But um, so he's got Yannick, Quiddy pay DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, and Eric Johnson, who's the three tech that they picked up this year. And, that's a really talented bunch. He doesn't have to be the guy that carries the load defensively. He can be another guy that comes in and waves and just beats up on tackles who are already getting beat up on. So I'm excited about his prospects. If you can't tell his year two campaign should be a ton of fun. We got a little bit of a flash of what he could do as he came back at the end of last year, but I'm ready to see full go. And I think a lot of the opponents probably aren't ready to see full go. They don't want to. Well, he, he fits a, a very, what's the word, a harmonious skill set with their other rushers. Because you look at Yannick, pure speed guy, very good at working the edge, uh, very good on stunts and games. Um, he's got that that huge kind of, you know, Euro step into a chop that he works outside, very similar to Shaq Barrett. So if anybody's going to be the guy that wins at like a seven to eight yard depth in the pocket, it's going to be Yannick. So they don't need another speed rusher. Mm. What they need is a guy who can go through the tackle and kind of maintain that next layer down in the pocket so that when the quarterback inevitably has to step up away from Yannick, somebody with length and power that can disengage inside and finish the job, that's Dio. And then, oh, by the way, if he doesn't get there, DeForest is coming up the middle, Grover Stewart's pushing the pocket, Eric Johnson, Quiddy, <laughs> like another guy who's got great power. So, you know, he he complements what Yannick brings 
because they don't occupy the same space. Mm-hmm. They kind of take up, if you look at pass rushes layers, they take up different layers of a pass rush. He's going to be the guy that wins at like a five to six yard depth, while Yannick wins at like a seven to 10 yard depth, depending on, you know, the the offensive concept and how deep the quarterback's dropping, everything like that. So he fits the zipper action of a pass rush, yep. specifically the Colts pass rush very well. Now, uh, my first guy in terms of second-year breakout players, uh, another guy who got uh, a, a pretty good amount of snaps mm-hmm. as a rookie, but I think he's going to get even more this year. Uh, and that's Pete Warner for the Saints. They let Quan go for a reason, and it's because they have Pete Warner. He is an absolute destroyer of worlds against the run. Uh, more functional against the pass than I think he's given credit for. Mm. But in terms of you know, being that, that human Coke machine that just absolutely blows everything up in between the numbers. That's Pete Werner. He's got range. He's got physicality. He's got the ability to get off blocks, diagnosis quickly, hell of a blitzer as well. Dare I say, <laughs> he has a very similar skill set to the guy that he's learning under, and that's Demario Davis. Mm. And I think that, I mean, he's not Demario. I think eventually he could be Demario which is about as high of a praise as I think you can give to a linebacker because DeMario is one of the best of his generation. I think Pete Werner can be that guy. Um, and, you know, he was, uh, he was a guy that, that wasn't getting all of the snaps as a rookie and now absolutely will because Quan is gone. I think he's going to be a phenomenal piece for them and one of the more productive second-year linebackers in the league. And this was a very talented linebacker class. Um, now, my number two is somebody who you and I, I think you and I both agreed when he came off the board at 32nd in the first round that it was an absolutely stupid pick. And by that, I mean it was stupid that he was still even available. Mm. And this was Joe Tryon Shoyinka. And I, I distinctly remember both of us being like, why did he fall that far? And moreover, why did the NFL let the Bucks get him? <laughs> Because they were already so deep and already so talented. They didn't even need him. They took him just because he was there. This is a dude who has length. He has power. He has positional flexibility in the sense that Washington played up right over by mm-hmm. you, what, 20 minutes away? Yep. They, pull it up, they put him at three tech. They put him at four eye. They put him at five. They put him at six. They put him at ghost nine. They put him everywhere. And he won in a variety of different ways. Um, he was playing next to Levi Onuzurike, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, was their nose, and they, they did a lot of three-man fronts where he didn't even get to rush the passer, so they didn't even really get to show off what he could do. But when they let him go, he dominated people, and he fell to 32, and it made no damn sense. It made no sense at the time. It still doesn't make sense. He's getting full snaps now because JPP's gone. He's incredibly talented. I think he's going to be a double-digit sack guy, and that's saying a lot because there's not very many of those in the league year to year. He's going to be one of them, in my opinion. Yeah, it's like 10-year starter. Double-digit sack guy is like automatic 10-year starter. I'm like, do you know how many people start start for 10 years in the league? Like, it's a very <laughs> small number. So double-digit sack guys, it's kind of like uh, I think it carries over with running backs too, and they're like, oh, he's going to get 20 carries. I'm like, you know how many running backs got 20 carries in the league last year? one yep no wait no zero i think, I think it was zero taylor was like just I under think it was that zero yeah. last year it was three the year before so like that those are just things that tropes that people throw out 
Tryon Schoenke, there was a bunch of reasons why he dropped. One was he'd opted out COVID year, so they didn't have any recent tape. Two was his usage at Washington. A lot of times they lined him up in a four or a five and just ran him into people. That was his job. <laughs> and uh, that resulted in, you know, depending on the play, doubles. There were a lot of talented tackles in the Pac-12. And he just didn't see as many flashes. And he was young. Uh, his last year in mm-hmm. in college um, because he skipped. And so if you were paying attention, you were like, okay, there's flashes there. Okay, the usage wasn't great. That could be maximized or, or made more efficient at his next stop. And then what he did on his year off was completely transform his body. He got dead serious about nutrition. He added, by the look of it, like 20 to 25 pounds. It was all muscle and all of a sudden, if you were like sort of adding those things up, you're like 32, like, I don't mm-hmm. think so. If you use him a little bit better and look what he's made himself into. Now you give him some pro coaching. He's got speed. He's got length. He's got power. He's shown flashes already. And now he has more tools to make those flashes happen more often. Yeah. That's an easy stamp for me. Um, going back to Pete Werner. Pete Werner is a little sneaky, and I don't mean sneaky athletic. I mean a little sneaky in that there were three linebackers coming out of Ohio State last year, and Werner was the one that people either kind of slept on or just outright didn't pay attention to. He's the least flashy of the three, and, you know, Saints benefited from that because his skill set was more limited in some ways than Baron Browning. And they weren't going to use him that way, but they knew they had a plan. They were like, nope, he's going to do this for us. And he's really good at that. And um, it reminds me a little bit of Denzel Perryman, right? Who Ooh, good pull. is yeah. like, I was low on Denzel Perryman because he was only good at what Pete Werner was good at. Um, for Pete Werner, I just mm-hmm. I kept getting that little voice in the back of my head that's like, I think he's gonna be a better pro. I think he's gonna be sneaky good, not sneaky athletic, but he's really efficient. He's in the right place. You always want to see that from a linebacker, no matter of role or assignment. Uh, and he's effective. Like he finishes plays. Yes, more running plays than passing plays. Yes, more between the tackles than outside. But again, doesn't get quite enough credit for playing in those areas pretty well, like holding his own. And I was just like, I it just felt like the value was really strong with him. Obviously, they thought so as well. They picked him up, and he played even better than I expected, and I think I was higher on Werner than a lot of people were. Um, so, again, arrow pointing solidly up for Werner. It's interesting that you mentioned Perryman because Perryman was also a second-round pick, and he's been in the league for eight years And now. he's gotten better. The thing that it makes yeah. me as an evaluator go back and look at that choices. Like, why were you low on Perryman? It's because he's a hammer. Like, coming out, he yeah. was a hammer. He was a hammer between the tackles. Like, he was a hammer in the box. He was the anti-run guy. And everything else was pretty limited in his college usage. Turns out, again, he can do more than that. It was a slow curve for him. For the first couple of years in the pros, he didn't do more than that. It wasn't like Werner. He wasn't kind of getting sneaky effectiveness. It was like, I'm good at this, and the defense had to game plan to keep him in his lane, right? Because if they allowed the offense to get him out, out of that lane physically or outside, they were getting a win, right? And it almost didn't matter who you matched up on him. Now he has continued to improve. He didn't plateau after that second year. He continued to sort of build his game last year. He had one of the most effective years 
in the league at linebacker in terms of efficiency. Uh, and it's because he's continued to round out that game. Again, landed in a good spot where they know how to use him, but he's also added some tricks to his bag in the time. And it makes me go back and go, okay, again, focus on what they can do. Don't, don't discredit them quite as much for what they can't do. Right. Again, just focus on the positives and then see if you can, I just said, look, you're going to have to hide him coming into the pros when we're talking about Perriman. <laughs> um, Werner, I felt like, had a little bit more versatility. But, again, it was really focused on we're talking about running backs. Now we're talking about receivers like running backs. Oh, it's really focusing on carrying the ball. Well, now we've got these guys that split. We want the same thing in linebackers. Oh, they got to be good in pass coverage. We say that all the time. Uh, I think Werner's got the ability to keep growing. And, again, he started hotter than I think maybe either one of us thought he was going to. So, Really looking forward to seeing what he does in that second year because if he was that comfortable as a rookie, like, okay, more please. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Well, it's funny you bring up Perriman as well. You know, had a good year for the Raiders, but his teammate is our, our actual last defensive player here, and that's our collaborative pick. This is somebody who we thought very hard about. <laughs> Last uh, last week when we were doing the underrated players, but we decided to go with a different nickel instead, and that's Nate Hobbs, who, as a rookie, was one of the five best nickels in the entire league. And again, that is an extremely hard position to play. There's so much that goes into being a nickel in terms of being involved in the pass rush, being involved in run defense, being involved in coverage, all the different stuff you have to do. On one play, you might have to carry, you know, Tyreek Hill down the field as number two and keep up with the guy that runs 4-2 with with limited and or no safety help. And the, the next play, you're you're blitzing off the edge and, you know, trying to get Patrick Mahomes on the on the ground, which is a lot easier said than Good done. luck. Good luck. You got to be able to do a little bit of everything. And Nate Hobbs does a little bit of everything. He blitzes well. He plays the run. Very short tackler. Way better in coverage than I thought he would be as a rookie. Like, he was a day three pick, and I, I agreed with his grade coming out. But he played better than a lot of DBs that, like, even if they were taken in the first round, he would have exceeded expectations that I had for a first-round DB. And I believe he was a fifth-rounder, if memory serves correctly. So he had a phenomenal rookie year. And I think that the arrow is only pointing up because he had a phenomenal rookie year on the 2021 Raiders, which, as we know, was a very difficult situation for a lot of people. And so, including for himself, by the way, like he also went through some stuff. So um, I think that the arrow is only pointing up for him on the field. We'll see what happens off the field. And I think that year two, he could go from being one of the five best nickels in the league to maybe being one of the two or three best nickels in the league, which at that point we're talking about a DB that that should be considered among the top tier at any position. There are a bunch of simple truths about Nate Hobbs. 
And one is that he wildly exceeded all expectations. And I don't care who you are. I don't even care if you're the Raiders scout that, that banged the table for him. Whenever they picked him, he played better than you thought he would. Let's, let's just be honest about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could go from top five nickels in the league to top three this year, and I wouldn't blink. And the last one is he is an unmitigated steal. Like mm-hmm. the value of that is it's not immeasurable. It is very hard to measure to say we're going to take what is essentially a flyer on a guy late. He is going to come in in one of the more difficult positions in his rookie year, which is a difficult transition anyways for any player at any position. And he's not just going to hold his own and be like, well, we kind of like what we're seeing on tape. There's some improvement there. We, we think we got something. No, no. He's going to blow the doors off as a rookie. Wildly exceed every expectation and really be a piece of your defense that you come to count on very quickly. The Raiders, a roller coaster ride on and off the field last year. Nate Hobbs was not part of that on the field. He was something they could count on, something that they stopped giving help to very early on. And got all the results and more that they were looking for. So all three of those things are true about Nate. And in terms of year two, couldn't be more excited. Hope he understands the balance of on-field, off-field a little bit better because he certainly understands his responsibilities on the field. He's just going to be more comfortable. That's just going to allow him to play faster. His body is a year removed from college, going into the pros, lifting and nutrition. He's going to be more physically effective. Um, there's just there's so many reasons he could be better. Um, we all know that lots of funny things happen in the NFL. There is no guarantee that will happen. Sophomore slumps happen as well. I hope he avoids it because he was such a revelation. Like he's a guy that kind of caught our eye early. And then if you went back anywhere in the second half of the season and ended up either going to a Raiders game or watching somebody against the Raiders, maybe your team, maybe another team that we were watching for the weekly pop. It's like, holy, holy cow. Wait, what? <laughs> That's Hobbs? No way. Like, you know, they get mixed up and there's a scissors coverage. And you're like, ah, I thought that was Casey Hayward. What? You're confusing? And then he's flying out of nowhere from off screen to break up a pass. You're like, how do you even Yeah, you're confusing Hobbs (laughs) and Hayward? And I have a lot of respect for Casey Hayward because he is a very successful professional football player and has done it for a lot of franchises. If you're confusing those two on tape and one of them's a rookie... Like yeah. he's Hobbs is in the right neighborhood. He's doing the right things. And uh, yeah, love the growth, uh, love the value. Raiders fans should be just like patting themselves on the back. Like this is a, this is an outright win from a season that had them sort of few and far between. Now, honorable mentions. We actually have a lot. We got a bunch. Because this was a yeah. very, 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 very talented rookie class. And to be honest, some of these guys, you might even already consider to be breakout players uh based on how they played as rookies but uh at minimum i think their sophomore years arrows only pointing up it's going to be caleb farley from tennessee hyper athletic corner prospect aaron robinson from the giants peyton turner uh from the saints who was like edge three for me in the class last year 
Uh, I think he's going to take a big leap this year when you consider his talent. Asante Samuel Jr. was making plays all over the place. I think he's only going to get better for the Chargers. Tevin Jenkins, now that he's healthy and has dropped weight down to 325. Yeah. And he's back at his right that... tackle spot, which I and he's back at really right think yep. those two things, obviously health is huge for him, but that return to right, I, I was strongly of the opinion he should have stayed at right. I was genuinely surprised when they rolled out the notion, oh, we're going to make him a left tackle in his rookie year. I was like, okay. Yeah. I, I just thought it was fascinating that it's like, oh, yeah, he dropped like it was like 15 pounds or something like that down to 325. And I was like, he minus 15 is 325. <laughs> like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Trey Lance also on their list of, of honorable mentions. Um, you know, I, I, I have I still hold ever up, hopeful considering his talent ever, level. ever, ever hopeful. hopeful. Not that I've ever been burned by the 49ers offense before. Don't know what you're talking about. Never happened. He said facetiously. Uh, Sam Cosme is one of my favorite tackle prospects last year. I think he's in for a big year, too. And uh, <laughs> speaking of beating the drum forever, Elijah Moore we're just, could, could not go We're without. just going to keep beating that drum until he's out of the league. I don't care what he ever achieves. We're going to be like, but Elijah Moore could do it. And it's true. He can do it. But there's so much about situation. I We're both hopeful. We want to see that very badly. Cosme had it last year. We did see it. Right. We, he played really well in a middle stretch of the season there. He was he was showing it. He was doing it. Trey Lance, we believe he can, but, you know, lots to do. There's so much more talent there. I think we all feel a little bit robbed if we don't get to see it because uh, we know what Jimmy can do. Uh, we're not even sure Jimmy's going to be there. So if that's the case, that would be cool. If they cleared the decks and said, Trey, it's your team, I would be, I don't know, my excitement for the 49er season would ratchet well, up. I think if if the shoulder injury for Jimmy wasn't a factor, I think he'd already be gone. I yeah, it's funny to me that it, we could probably do a whole. Show, I'm sure we could do a whole show about Jimmy G and Baker and and a couple of other quarterbacks that we were pretty sure would be for sure moved right by now in a in a low quarterback draft class year, um, but haven't been. So that's that's a fascinating little turn of the season. Um, Asante Samuel Jr. He was a playmaker already. Just want to see that continue, really. It's not like get better. It's like just continue playing at the level you were playing. Just keep doing, yeah, what, keep you're doing, doing what you're kid. doing. <laughs> Perfect. Peyton yeah. Turner, tons of physical talent there. And again, New Orleans, uh, yeah, there's a change in the coaching staff, but they've been historically very good at developing off uh, athletic defensive line prospects. Aaron Robinson, I'm real excited for. I was super high on Aaron Robinson. I thought he could play inside or outside. Looks like he's going to get a lot of run with James Bradbury moving on. Like that was one of the factors in the Giants letting James Bradbury go. One was salary that we talked about. The other is they're pretty high on Aaron Robinson. And I'm excited with the coaching staff, especially the Dable put together. Um, it's good on both sides of the ball, but it's very good on the defensive side of the ball as well. Like Aaron Robinson is one of those, like mm, keep an eye on Aaron Robinson. He's a great player coming out. He's got positional versatility. He's got great coaching staff on the defensive side now. Like, I, and Caleb Farley, wildly talented, was injured. Didn't didn't get a lot of run last year. Just want to see him full go, and see what he's got. Yeah, so it's it's a really really talented class, and as good as some of these guys were in the top ten, we could have put in an entirely different top 10 and they all would easily in fact we probably could have done that five times over we had we had easy 25 names in the bucket when we started 
Like if you're like my yeah. it was, my team's it was hard yeah, to narrow my it team's down. favorite player didn't make it. Yeah, you and a lot of other folks. It's not because we hate <laughs> your team. You can say that if we want, we're fine with it. But that's not the reason. The reason is it was difficult. This is not like oh these are the only guys. It's like well I can do this guy or this guy or this guy or this guy. And you know we wanted to cut it down to ten and you know put. Put your favorite names in the comments. We love seeing them. We love seeing the arguments for why they should have been there and the passion for supporting them. Go ahead. We don't, we don't take that as a slight. Um, just hope you like the content. And, and uh, you know, I love the discussion in the comments. I might be a sicko, but uh, I, th- I think our comments <laughs> section is, is pretty healthy. So uh, feel free. Chip in your favorite players that we quote-unquote missed or hate your team about. Uh, we'd love to see them. The only team I hate is my own. Yeah, well, because- this is God damn, they make it so hard to be a fan. Isn't that true for most of us? <sighs> I feel like I can't go on Twitter without being, come on, guys. Really? You did what? <laughs> That's legal? No, probably not. <laughs> not okay. if you did it. <laughs> really good indicator it's not legal if you did it. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, what's next, DJ? Oh. Throughout summer, I'm, we got a lot coming. I'm up. jazzed. We this this whole setup was actually going to debut. Uh, I didn't think all the stuff was going to get here, quite frankly. So it was going to debut for the divisional, but uh, I was able to get it done early. It all came together pretty well. So I was like, well, we'll roll it out for this one. Um, but uh, as as different as the man cave looks, the divisional previews are going to look uh, just that different and better, quite frankly. Um, we've seen sneak previews uh, of what. Uh, the mock-ups are going to look like uh, in terms of some of the graphical treatments and the, obviously we're writing the agendas and the organization there. I'm, 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 yeah, it's I'm sick. peppy. I, I can't wait for people to see those episodes there. I think they're going to shock and awe is, is a good way to put it. There's going to be a shift. Uh, if you like what we're doing now, it's just that to 11 or that on steroids. Um, I can't wait. I, I'm just reminded of the Jets clip. Can't wait. <laughs> it's going to be weird to get five episodes a week for like two months. I, I, I think bootleg fans are going to be very disturbed by by the increase in pace. They're not going to be used to if it. If I know anything about bootleg fans, they're going to be disturbed when we stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we go back to one they're show week like, during the season, uh... they're going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You demonstrated clearly you could put out five hours of content a week. Where we are we are going to be just the opposite of hitting your hand with a hammer. You know what the best thing about hitting your hand with a hammer is? When you when stop. You stop. <laughs> We're going to be the exact opposite of that. When we stop, everybody's going to everybody's going to be like, wait, wait, wait. Where's my bootleg fix? So, and that's you know the best possibility is wanting to you know leave them wanting more. Um, our patron-only event is going to come up mid-June. We'll contact the top two tiers of patrons about when that's going to be. We'll definitely shoot for a weekend. Some of you have requested a Sunday. We might try and do that if we can. Um, if not, we'll try and pick the best possible time. We know everybody's not going to make one time, uh, but we're really looking forward to that. We want to. We had a ton of fun the last one we did. Um, looking forward to the interaction, the questions, uh, your reactions to all this. I can't wait to to see how you're feeling about it. You tell us in the comments every week, but it's a little bit different in person. Um, and then 2022 NFL season, man, we're going to, we're going to start seeing camp right after we finish up the divisional previews. There's going to be all those headlines late season or late off season trades right before the season starts. And then we have even more queued up for the 2022 season. So it, it feels like it's going to roll from now all the way through the next draft with no break, which is a little intimidating, but also awesome. 
We should thank our executive producers and get the heck out of here because we got work to do. Yeah, Andrew, Marat, Consti, Connor, you guys, all four of you are legends uh, helping to support the show, helping EJ to get the RGB lights and the camera and all the audiovisual equipment that we've upgraded the man cave with throughout the last two years. Wouldn't be able to do that without no you guys. So thank you for being our executive producers for so long and, uh, and supporting us for so long. Couldn't do this without you. Uh, and with that, my friends, it is time to go. We'll be back. I can't remember which week we start the division previews <laughs> relative to when this posts. Yeah, as, They're coming as soon, soon as we can crank them all out because it will be five a yes. week, four teams Monday through Thursday, and then a divisional wrap-up show on Friday. So five bootleg shows a week. That's what we're shooting for. Just be aware that as soon as they start, it, it's it, 40 episodes basically. Fire hose. So, <laughs> yeah. So we'll see you all very soon with that. And uh, until then, later. Take care. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.